and welcome back to Any Color You Like, a podcast where we spill our feelings, opinions, and give some great advice to twenty-somethings everywhere. We're your hosts, Krithvi and Mahima, and if you can't really see from our faces, we're so excited to have Lisa Mangaldas in conversation with us, who is an author, podcaster, and literal queen of sex-positive communication. So, thank you, Lisa, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. You are too, too kind. Too, too kind. Thank you. You have been creating sex-positive content for I think about five to six years now, and you've spoken a lot about your journey. But my first question to you has to be: How did that first conversation go when you had to go and tell your parents, like, "Hey, listen, mom and dad, I'm going to be talking about sex on the internet"? Because Mahima and I, while doing this episode, we're like, you know what? All the sisters and the friends are going to really love it. But when my dad sees this on the YouTube suggestion channel, it's going to be a bit awkward. So, can you talk a little bit about how that happened and how you made that move? So, I really lucked out in the parents department. My parents are really, really supportive of this, and and always have been. Or, or rather, they never had to be convinced that sex education matters, or that you know people would benefit. From easy access to this information, so luckily it was never even a thing. Like, I think actually more than my parents, it was overcoming my own sense of like what will other people think, you know. Right. Um, particularly approaching some particular like topics that are especially taboo. Like, I don't know. I think the first time I talked about you know uh, masturbation for for women or using a sex toy, I think we're like still such a heteronormative um, society as well in terms of if you're going to talk about sex, like the only acceptable type of sex is like penetrative intercourse, right? If you talk about cunnilingus right. or rimming or something, there's like an added layer of oh, 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 she's that kind of. You know what I mean? I feel like, um, and I don't give a shit really what other people think today, but I think it was a journey to getting to a point where you give less and less and less of a shit about. You know how you're going to be perceived as this like bad girl or something because who the hell gets to define define that anyway? You know, but I would right. be lying to say it never occurred to me that I could be perceived in certain ways. You know what I mean? But I never really cared about it. But now I care even less about. It. That's so awesome. So, do you think that there's a potential to normalize talking about sex amongst Desi parents? Because that is one of the major questions that you know is asked amongst our age group. Like, can we actually get to a point? Where Desi parents are open to having these conversations, like you know, your your parents are. I think that you know, Desi parents were once teenagers, also, right? right? It's so funny that we literally become the uncles and aunties that we so despise for judging us when we're younger. You know, suddenly you're right. a parent and you have kids, and suddenly the same things you wished. Like the elders in your community or whatever hadn't tried to impose on you, you end up imposing on your kid. It's so funny how we how that happens, you know. Um, and I think we should be conscious of that. Like, why keep perpetuating the same stigmas, the same prejudices, the same restrictions that are often very gender unequal, often very queerphobic, often very misogynistic, patriarchal, etc., etc. You know, because. I mean, if we're honest, like nobody, nobody, nobody perfectly conforms to all of what you know polite society considers like appropriate, like whatever. Right. You know, like this, this, like perfectly sanskari, where you literally like, don't have sex, you know, before. And it's and who the what is that anyway? Like, what is this box? Do we even want to fit into this box? So I think parent, you know, there's a big. It's I think it's such a fear of log kya kahenge. I actually think right. many of our parents would be much more progressive if they were less invested in what the neighbors think. 
you know it's like they don't even care what they actually feel about an issue it's more like how does the rest of society expect me to feel about this issue community is a wonderful aspect of south asian society you know when you're sick like mm-hmm. 50 people will show up with food for you and that's beautiful but right. they also meddle with your business and like wanna, <laughs> you know uh, judge and kind of uphold some status quo that's unnecessary so i think we should keep the good bits and maybe also be more compassionate with each other right and less judging so okay to 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 be very honest i think i started this podcast and i told mahima i said one of the first things i want to talk about is the female orgasm because even though me myself and so many of my friends who are sexually active very sexually aware are still not having fulfilling and satisfying ketana palang tod sex there is still something that stops them from really tapping into that orgasmic peak or you know they, they, so many times i just hear like no no it's fine mujhe aise maze aa jate hain so i i've been thinking a lot about where this orgasm gap comes from and my thought has always been that you know when men were younger and boys were younger they were busy fapping away their teens they were allowed to do these things they saw in pop culture that these things were very normalized whereas i think as women we grew up a lot a lot of the time just kind of being ashamed of our changing bodies not really understanding what to do with our changing bodies so never looking at our bodies in a more sexy sexualized way that's just my thought though so i i kind of want your thoughts on where do you think this like gap begins from is it is it something that happens in our childhood or you know where where does that develop i mean i think that um so unfortunately shame tends to be i think the dominant lens via which sexuality is presented to all young people regardless of gender especially in our society but there's a sense that this is a shameful thing but men should do it and this is a shameful thing but women should not do it right so women should be the gatekeepers and men should be the predators and but it is a shameful thing nonetheless okay mm-hmm. so i feel like the the it, it, which messes people up on both on both sides because on the one hand you socialize one gender to um kind of seek out this thing but but it's a bad and shameful thing but boys will be boys and you should go do this mm. and on the other hand you're telling um another gender that you know this is a really shameful thing and good girls don't do it and like you lose something if you give this to someone so we both have like i mean people of um both these two genders which tend to be the paradigm within which most young people are raised to identify as right you have to kind of fight this paradigm if you identify outside of it So let's say we as very young people before we have a solid sense of like who we are we kind of inherit these ideas already right that there's only these two genders and that men should want it and women should protect it and um I think that uh, in in a funny kind of way um it 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 produces like double the problems right this dual conditioning because on the one hand i mean we rarely learn anything about women's pleasure we we basically if we learn anything at all around female reproductive anatomy reproductive anatomy right it's called reproductive anatomy mm-hmm. there's no mention of pleasure you see a uterus mm-hmm. and fallopian tubes and ovaries or something when did we ever see a diagram with the clitoris labeled in school right but you do get it to, if you get that chapter in biology class or whatever the reproductive system you do get penis and and the testes and this mention of erection penetration ejaculation because those processes happen to be central to reproduction so somehow men's pleasure seems legitimized and necessary very important right the cornerstone of sex sex equals heterosexual intercourse sex equals a penis in a vagina sex must end in ejaculation and hopefully you have a baby like that's basically the message we can like don't do it before marriage etc cetera, etc cetera. 
And so I think that uh, when it comes to women exploring their own bodies, like that is, that's something we're never encouraged. We're not even meant to really see our bodies as our bodies. It's almost like this um, thing that doesn't really belong to you, that you must, that your family must safeguard until it then belongs to your husband. Like that's mm-hmm. the, even though this sounds so stone age, like, or so like, um, I don't know, caveman, like that is in some ways still the undertone of how mm-hmm. young women are raised to feel about themselves. Right. Um, and I think that on the other hand, there's this pressure, especially, um, you know, today with internet porn and things like that, perhaps that's even more so, uh, where, where with men, it's like a sign of masculinity. If you like do it, do it a lot, do it with lots of people. And some men might not want to also, you know, so I think the pressure to have sex or the pressure to not have sex, the pressure to like be sexual or not be sexual, it shouldn't be a pressure. It should really be a process of discovery on your own terms right and um i think so we do ourselves a disservice by um sort of um characterizing masculinity in the way of like the player is like you know the, the the cool dude is is someone who gets a lot of women who knows a lot about like who 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 has a, who who like fucks a lot basically like basically right and like right. the respectable girl is like this virgin and very pure and docile and she's right so it's like it's, it's all messed up and I think um you know men will write to me so much about like how ashamed they feel about masturbating or fearing all kinds of bad things will happen to them and like many women will write to me they've never masturbated. And it's so strange, right? Like nobody's actually, very rarely do I get joyful stories of like, I've always enjoyed doing this. It's a wonderful way of discovering my body. It's not like either how do I overcome this shame or how do I even start? I, I didn't even know we were allowed. And many people then write into me being like, you know, having read your book or watching certain videos about um, masturbation as a tool of self-discovery, et cetera, et cetera. It's made me understand my body better. But I think like we all have some dismantling to do. And I definitely did too, you know, we're like just seeing your body as your own and seeing self-pleasure is not shameful, understanding the anatomy as well, because I think many of us still think that like penetrative movements or movements that simulate that, like the, like the main thing that you should be doing when actually a variety of different things can even non-genital body parts can feel wonderful when stimulated. So mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like um, this, most of what we were taught was just like, nonsense and we need to <laughs> unlearn it and learn it and then like relearn new stuff yeah yeah i think the most stupid thing i've been told by one of the guys i was dating was that Mahima, women should not have multiple partners because your their body remembers it your muscle memory remembers it and because the dick is going inside you but men can have multiple partners <laughs> because the dick is not going in. and i take it that guy oh my god oh, <laughs> it was it is horrible. And in, in all these things are coming from all, like he follows um, all these gurus and stuff. Like I was like, please stop, please stop. Like just stop. I don't want to talk about it. And these yeah. very misogynistic ideas that like the vagina becomes loose if you have sex. And it's so funny. It's like the, if you have sex with a hundred men, you'll have this loose vagina. But if you have hundred mm-hmm. times, if you have sex with your husband a hundred times, it's fine, you know? It's fine. <laughs> no, not <sure. laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, piggybacking on that question, um, I think the first simple question that I get asked a lot, especially from younger girls, is that why should we, women orgasm? It's like, why should we be doing it? Isn't it's, Should it be coming through just sexual encounters or you should learn to self-pleasure yourself? Like, what are we getting out of it? Apart from that, like, momentary feel-good feeling. 
look, there's no pressure to do anything, right? I feel like um, while there's so much shame and stigma around being sexual, and I try really hard with my work to help dismantle the shame around women's sexuality, there's also, conversely, uh, invisibilization and stigma around asexuality, right? It's like we never hear about that either. So um, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't admit to wanting sex, but you can't not want sex either. Mm. And that's absurd, right? I mean, the whole thing is agency and autonomy. So there is never any pressure to have sex or masturbate or have an orgasm. I mean, like if you don't feel drawn to those experiences or you don't really enjoy, um, you know, physical touch and intimacy in those ways, there's no pressure to like you figure out what you like and, you know, don't, don't, don't do it if you don't want to. Of course not. There's just so much stigma around it that many people who do want to explore these things feel that they can't and we're trying to dismantle that as well. So that disclaimer out of the way, I think, um, you know, historically there's so i just want to say basically there's no pressure to you don't have to have an orgasm because i'm telling you to have an orgasm like that's not <laughs> what i'm trying to do at all but i think um you know women's pleasure has been sort of marginalized and dismissed for so long particularly in heterosexual relationships where it's just like you know her pleasure is too complicated it's mysterious who knows it takes too long like whatever mm -hmm. sex ends when he comes right and so like globally when um research studies have been conducted around what is called orgasm equality straight women are the least likely to be able to report frequently or always having an orgasm during sex as compared to straight men gay men and lesbian women right and so what does this reveal not that women's bodies are complicated because how come lesbians seem to be able to report that um the sex is pretty satisfying right what it reveals is that the scripts were fed for what heterosexual sex should look like devalue or don't sufficiently prioritize women's pleasure right and if we don't mm -hmm. i mean Lori mintz who's this wonderful author who wrote a book called becoming cliterate said that you know in the very language that we talk about sex if we prioritized women's pleasure the way we prioritize men's pleasure then you know um we wouldn't be calling the clitoral caressing foreplay right that would be right. called sex <laughs> Like clitoral stimulation is literally um, the most reliable route to orgasm for most women, and it's relegated to the realm of the optional. It's like foreplay, if you right. like. You know what I mean? The main event is penetration. Why is that, right? And she, she she says like you know, clitoral stimulation would be called sex, and penetration would be called postplay if we prioritized mm -hmm. <laughs> if we prioritized women's pleasure the way we prioritize men's in the way that straight people. Um, are sort of given this template for what sex should look like. So, you know, why not um, sort of just unpack that stuff? I think that it's not that you have to pressure yourself to experience orgasm. I mean, many people take a long time to figure out their own pleasure and you shouldn't feel ashamed or something if you haven't figured it out yet or if you don't yet know what makes you orgasm. But I think it's worth being cognizant of how women's pleasure has been sort of like marginalized in the way that sex is presented for so many decades and that's why it can seem so complicated and difficult even when actually it isn't i mean many people use a vibrator for the first time and are just absolutely shocked that like you come every time in a few minutes you know very easy that was my experience too and it's just like what i thought like you know i thought like my orgasms were like the abominable snowman or something not even sure if it exists where is it you know um and ah it's so easy. It's, just, it's, not, it's not mysterious or difficult at all. And it's like incredible. I mean, the, also, I think like that feeling of pleasure is one of the most euphoric things in the world or can be, right? It can be. 
So why not feel entitled to it if you do want it? Like, I just think men feel entitled to pleasure in a way that women don't usually feel. We kind of are so conditioned to, to make our pleasure an optional thing that we don't even... I think we don't we don't think that like we deserve it. Like it's okay if it doesn't happen. Whereas right. like why not if you do enjoy the experience, you can even provide that experience to yourself or direct your partner experiences in such a way that it is likely that they will be pleasurable for you too. Like why not close that orgasm gap, mm -hmm. right? Because right. arguably many of us would like to be experiencing pleasure, but aren't always <laughs> experiencing as much of it as we want. So so it's more yeah. in that regard as opposed to like this pressure to orgasm. No, what you said was so interesting because it is very true that boys' pleasure is prioritized. And I was just telling Mahima about it that, you know, how like when you're in this sexual interaction with boys, at least this is what we've heard across the board. It's like the boy deserves and needs a blowjob. Like there is no way that this sexual interaction can go beyond foreplay unless you go down on this guy. And interestingly, 99% of my friends have never had a guy willingly go down on them. And, you know, it's such an interesting thing to see that it's it's so far apart when we are in serious relationships. Even when we've been with men for long periods of time, it's so difficult to get them to do what we want them to do in bed. So how might we, you know, um, tackle some of those those issues? Um, I mean, I think people, um, unfortunately, often find it hard to talk about sex, even if they are having sex. Like... I would hear from people who, you know, maybe have been married for 10 years or something like that. You know, often women would write to me being like, I've never had an orgasm with my husband. We have two kids. But I don't know how to tell him. Like, I don't know. How can I tell him this? How do we even begin to talk about it? You know, the lights are off and we just, like, do stuff. I look at the ceiling fan, that type of thing. Where even this person who's supposed to be, like, who is being in this very intimate act with you for years it's something you've never actually talked about you know it's funny like we do it but we don't talk about it that's basically our philosophy over here when it comes to how we address sex right we're a country of 1.4 billion people but we don't talk about we like pretend we don't have sex so i think for starters communication like i think why like of course there might be some uh people who are you know um selfish or like uninterested in pleasing their partner i think there's also a lot of people who would really like to please their partner but don't really know much uh, don't don't know any better like they, nobody's told them their partner hasn't said to them do this to me this is what i'd like so they just do what they enjoy you know um mm -hmm. i think there are lots of and also i mean the, the, the flip side of like constructions of masculinity or whatever is like you know, being good in bed makes you like a more masculine man. So I don't know if that's driving people or whether it's like a genuine um, sort of like desire for a more equal relationship. But I do get messages a lot of the time from men being like, I want to please my partner. I really do, but I don't know how. Or my partner's too shy to tell me. Or like, I want to go down on my girl, but she doesn't let me because she like tells me she worries how it'll taste or smell or whatever. So I think, I'm, and I can relate to that too, yeah. where I think often when someone's going down on me, I do worry like, oh my God, is it like, I hope he's okay. You know, I don't think someone's worrying. Like, is she okay while she's giving, exactly. do you know what I mean? I just don't think <laughs> they just go like, if I'm okay when I'm, they're like so happy. Yes. You know, they're just like wholeheartedly enjoying the experience. Maybe there's some men who yeah. worry, but I would say overwhelmingly men yeah. tend to be able to 
wholeheartedly enjoy a blowjob, whereas very often women tend to worry about whether he's okay with the taste, smell, and aesthetics of what's going on down there instead of being like, yes, this feels amazing. So I feel like dismantling that sense of disgust that we've been conditioned to feel around our own vulvas is very important. And then learning how it feels good for yourself so you can then communicate that to a partner um, is also very good because sometimes what's working for you is something you yourself don't entirely know. So even though you know what he's doing is not working for you, you don't know what to tell him to do. You know, Mm -hmm. so you're just like, "Ah, okay, I'm just going to fake it. I think that can be a very common experience where you know this isn't happening. It's like no orgasms on the menu tonight, but you're not quite sure how to like like tell him what to do or whatever, right? Right. So I think that in that regard, it can be really... Uh, it can build your confidence to communicate if you really know what what like works for you. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately, like the vulva is often coded in disgust. And so I think both men and women often think like this is this dirty, smelly thing that like we need to wax mm-hmm. and for like perfume and I don't know, do all sorts of things <laughs> too before anyone will like get their mouth close to it. But that's bullshit, man. It's the, the vulva is beautiful and it's, it's supposed to smell like a vulva. It's not supposed to smell like roses. You're not supposed to put perfume into mm-hmm. your vagina. You know, that's like not good for yeah. the ecosystem. And so I think like getting over a score, I think of course, basic personal hygiene is great and all parties, right? It's not like the penis is like some like ice lolly just, just waiting to... The right? cherries, no. <laughs> it's nice if they were. It's, it's nice for all parties to like have a shower. That's basic courtesy right have a shower wipe after and like um you know do your best to to have good personal hygiene but the body is the body and i feel like getting over your squeamishness around the body in its natural state and kind of like being like recognizing body hair is normal recognizing that like genitals are unlikely to smell like strawberries or roses you don't even they shouldn't right like skin has its own even right out of the shower your body has its own like kind of scent and it's actually quite a nice scent when you're when it's when it's right out of the shower i feel like it's quite a yummy scent like i want to like smell my partner's (laughs) neck or whatever um so yeah i think i don't know overcoming some of that um sort of shame and disgust can go a long way because um, I think society like works really hard at hammering it in and then we don't realize how much work it takes to unlearn that. Right. And I think I was 26 years old when I read in your book for the first time that you're not supposed to use a lot of like fragrances or different soaps and stuff to clean your vagina because I used to do that. And in your book, you go over how like it's just not going to help because it's going to, you know, create more problems and like more bacterial contamination, which is like, because I would do it a lot. There are all these products in the in the, in the um, shops which are very targeted towards women's vagina smelling like flowers. But I don't see mm. that for men. So and yeah, she's a scientist. So and, yeah. and I'm a scientist. Yeah. And your book was a rel- like an epiphany for me. I was like, oh my god! Like I'm not supposed to clean it like that. No one. I mean, the me. vaginal canal, yeah, is an internal structure right it's like the throat or something where you wouldn't put soap in or your nostril you would not put soap in your nostril right you might wash the outside of your nose but you would not put soap in your nostril and i think that when because it's a it's an internal it's literally like an internal part of the body and the vagina is self-cleaning it doesn't need you never need to put soap into your vagina you can clean the vulva the labia the pubic hair you know the all of the external parts can be cleaned with gentle 
um, soap and water or even just water. You don't really need a special yeah. wash for that. But the thing is, these <laughs> feminine hygiene washes and all, they, you know, then it would be okay if they were like, here's a gentle wash that you can wash your vulva with if you like. Uh, because, I don't know, you just want to like have this product for your vulva. But actually, you can just use your body wash or anything out or just water. Right. And you definitely don't want to put it inside, right? But instead, they call them like vaginal wash and they'll call it like intimate hygiene wash. The words like in, you know, with these these very internal sounding words are used to market the products. And so people end up like literally taking this product, like, like putting it into the canal, which is going to disrupt the vaginal uh, yeah. biome. Like it's going to... You know, overwashing can even cause bacterial vaginosis where from too much water um, being put into the vaginal canal, you disturb the existence. It's like a very, um, how should I say, self-sustaining mechanism that doesn't need too much intervention. You know what I mean? Imagine like, like, I don't know, put, you know what I mean? If we, if we like put soap and, I don't know, um, scrubbed inside our eyes, you know, inside, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and these are the conversations that you would never have with your gynecologist in India. Like she would yeah. never educate most of the time. Like you're not supposed to clean it like that. My first vaginal wash was given to me by my gynecologist. Um, okay, so now we're gonna move uh, towards the last section, which is uh, the advice round, which is more like a rapid fire. It's like kind of treated like coffee with current rapid fire minus the hamper because we are very low budget right now. <laughs> Maybe in future. <laughs> okay. So my first question for the rapid fire for you. Um, a lot of my friends have never masturbated even though they are sexually active for years. So where should they start? Is there like any porn that women can search or like, you know, where they're not just getting banged up like their sexual object or something? Um, so, I mean, there is definitely, there's like a bunch of feminist pornographers making what is now being called ethical porn and, you know, porn that's um, trying to sort of uh, mitigate many of the problems with mainstream porn. And it tends to be porn that you need to pay for because, you know, how else are people in porn going to be compensated equitably, right. etc. With a yeah. focus on more gender equal pleasure, da, 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 da. there's also audio porn, there's, um, you know, all kinds of erotica online if you look for it and some of it can be quite interesting but i personally am a big fan of like using my imagination i'm not a i'm not i don't know like i watching porn watching sport like i don't watching other people have fun is like i, I want to have fun yeah. i want to watch other people have fun but that's just me many people really love love erotic media but i think that uh, so there's no right way to do what i meant was you have to watch porn if you don't want if porn doesn't do anything for you do it without porn I think what can really help if you're wanting to begin to explore your own pleasure is to first just look at your vulva with a hand mirror because it's hard to like actually take a look at what's going on over there, right? Many of us haven't right. actually like seen it. It's, it's located in such a way where we don't just see it every day the way like, if you, I guess if you have a penis, like when you pee, you kind of get to take a little look. But because of the way that it is located, um, and structured, it's kind of like you really have to sit down with like maybe like some bright lights on or a little lamp and a hand mirror. Take a proper look so you re- so you realize what's what. I mean, many people like shocked to learn that they don't urinate and menstruate from the same opening. <laughs> Figuring out what's what if you haven't already is a great first step. And then, you know, like, I mean, some people find a, a, a basic vibrator to be like a life-changing device it just mm-hmm. just like vibration the sensation of vibration on the clitoris it doesn't even have to be something that is a penetrative tool um literally like a small by like a wand vibrator a clitoral suction toy or bullet vibrator can can be quite like 
whoa, I didn't even realize how easy it is to orgasm for many people who use it for the first time. But you could use your fingers or your, I mean, you know, like whatever pace and your whatever sort of um, comfort level you're at is a good place to start, right? And even just like being comfortable with being naked. Sometimes we can be so self-conscious about our own bodies. Like for the longest time, I had such insecurity around having small boobs. And like over the years, I've grown to really um, feel much more comfortable in my skin and much more at peace with and kind of like joyful in the body that I have. It's my body. This is the body I have. Like I might as well learn to enjoy inhabiting this body because otherwise like life isn't a lot of fun. So I feel like those processes also help in ensuring that your sexual experiences, whether solo or with a partner, are more pleasurable. Like it's hard to get out of your head sometimes if you're, I don't know, like uncomfortable with how you look naked or conscious of like various other things instead of being able to be present and like really connect with your own pleasure. Um, so yeah, I would say like, take it slow, take it, take mm -hmm. it, or, or take it at a pace that feels right for you. There's no formula, you know, but at least informing yourself about what's what, and then feeling around to see what feels good for you, um, is a good place to start. And many people have like different ways. They like, there is no right way, you know, there's no one single right way uh, to experience pleasure. But I think like setting aside the time to go on that journey of self-discovery is very worthwhile because it does take time. It doesn't just happen by magic, you know? Right. It's, a, it's like something you can learn, yeah. Uh, so when we were in college, we both went to Purdue in America and I was working in, I was in Boston and she was in India. She had just moved back to India and she left her dildo <laughs> at her aunt's place in, uh, at one of her relatives' place in Philly. And then she calls me. She's like, Mama, you have to go to Philly for a day. And I'm like, why? She's like, I'm booking your tickets. They're 200 bucks. I need to get, like, my aunt is trying to take all my clothes, like, pack my stuff. But she cannot see my dildo. So you need to go pack my stuff and throw that dildo away. Because otherwise, I don't know how embarrassing this would be. Okay. And I did it. I flew, it, I flew for eight hours just to throw a dildo away. These what are the friends dildo for, I guess. was a oh dildo. God. It wasn't a wand. It was like a purple penis that was eight inches long. If someone saw that, they would take that. my face. <laughs> it had to be. But no, now I have a very nice, oh like, little wand vibrator that I absolutely love. And like you said, just that little vibration is like more than enough to, you know. And I was like, is this all it takes for me to orgasm? And suddenly yeah. this thing that was so inaccessible and such a. Oh, like, oh, it happens sometimes became like, oh, I can make this happen whenever I wanted to. So very empowering in, in that sense for me to do that self-discovery. So like you said, it's not just about that peak. It's just about like liking your body in a different way and experience, experiencing it in a, in a different way. Um, which brings me, me, sorry, go ahead. No, go No, for me, just like for me, I'm on the other spectrum because I have never used a dildo in my life, but I still like enjoy sex and I still like use my fingers to do it and it's pretty good so I've never really experienced it but after talking to you both especially Lisa you like how you just put up the stories I think I might try like I don't know maybe yeah I feel like different people like different types of toys and and, yeah. and I think many people assume when they first think of sex toys that sex toys exist only for women and that like a phallic looking object is like the sex toy you know like and while i mean many people do love dildos a dildo is like a penis looking or like at least a long you know cylindrical type of thing meant for internal stimulation typically whereas um at least for me and i think many people can can um relate to this as well the most like 
oh my god like i didn't know that was possible or like whoa that feels so good it's typically like just vibration on the clitoris or suction on the clitoris like you know with your finger or with a penis or with a man or whatever if you've had any kind of sexual penetrative activity you kind of know what penetration feels like and with a dildo you have a lot of control over that but it's kind of like penetration you know what i mean but this the sensation of vibration is so unique and not possible for a human to recreate Mm-hmm. right it's just impossible to move about. so you don't even expect for i mean i think that it's not a competition between a man and right. a vibrator or between mm-hmm. your own fingers and a vibrator it's more like this additional tool that that just like makes life um so quite exciting and fun like one more it's like technology that exists it's like right it's just a it's like a really fun technology that that makes a certain sensation really easy to access because of the speed consistency and freak and like duration for which it can retain that very very powerful movement right and it's, it's amazing i mean why not use it's like why would you not use a calculator if you were an accountant you're not going to be threatened by the chat calculator gpt it's, like this, it's chat gpt oh, for chat. the first time <laughs> <laughs> so i have a very interesting question that someone asked me and they said that i love having sex with my partner but when i'm about to finish i like thinking of someone else <laughs> so is this something i know it's such a personal thing and i was like I mean he doesn't know what you're thinking about but you know like there's this little sense of guilt am i allowed to think or fantasize about other people when i'm in 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 a, you know in a sexual interaction with someone I mean you know there is no who am i to tell you what you're allowed to or not allowed to do right and i feel like it's very huge i mean i'm sure you're not the only person who's ever had this um sort of like mind space you know it, it, it right. i think we would be lying if any of us were to say that we would that even though we've been in a very long monogamous relationship we have never felt attracted to someone else or never thought of it you don't have like full control over your thoughts you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like your your imagination and fantasies can can go in different directions and that's okay yeah. and i guess you know you do have the choice though to act on or not act on certain thoughts or fantasies or whatever it is and depending on the structure of your relationship i mean if you were for example in an ethically non-monogamous situation or where you are practicing polyamory with the consent of all partners involved maybe i mean maybe your partner would even like to hear about that fantasy i don't you know but maybe if you're in a traditionally monogamous relationship they'd be really upset to hear that or something so i mean i don't know i personally think that lots of the expectations around monogamy even if for practical purposes you want to just be with one person think like many of the, the these ideas of like the one or you're never allowed to sense of attraction or anything ever again because when i know it's just like like that's nice have that fairy tale in your head but it's just not how life works like mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. who are we you know mm-hmm. what i mean i think right. that some of it is like delusional this delusions around monogamy even for those of us who practice it that that i think we'd be better off letting go of like yes we are in a monogamous relationship because that's what we've chosen and we're being transparent about uh, our expectations and commitment to each other but am i never going to ever look at someone and think oh that they're hot like that would be a lie right mm-hmm. we're not no longer capable of like we're not, we're still human beings with like senses you can't always um control how you perceive something right just like this it, objectively speaking if something is attractive to you you're going to like perceive it as attractive you never don't have to act on it right that's where the sense of commitment or agency comes in you don't have to act on everything right. you think but i mean should you feel bad about just thinking a thought or feeling a, a feeling i i don't know i i think that we don't need to be that harsh on ourselves yeah mm-hmm. that's awesome now i won't yeah, feel bad yeah. next time 
So since we're at time, I just want to ask you our final question. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I think it went in directions that we ourselves had not planned in and that I know will be very beneficial to all the young listeners on our podcast. But this is a very community-empowered podcast and we started this episode talking about how you had the courage and the vision to you know, start talking about these things that are so inherently taboo in our society. And a friend of mine was talking to me how about how you know, when she talks to men about these things, when she's open to men about or like her pa- other partners about um, these type of things, she's met with a lot of uh, discomfort, even from the male aspect where men feel demasculated somehow. And also from the female aspect, when women feel like, oh, my God, you're so orgasm hungry and they feel like it's it's wrong to want something like that. So how might we, you know, like like how you are doing this for all of these, you know, this this large amount of people, how might people like me and Mahima lead these conversations in our friend groups and with our nieces and nephews um, to make sure that we all grow up in a, in a more sex positive society and we can carry off, you know, all the good work that you do and disseminate it into our own little communities everywhere. Well, it looks like you already are with this podcast <laughs> and, I think that, and, and it just feels normal, right? Like it's not the biggest deal in the world that we're talking yeah. about sex right now. I feel like making, you know, um, people are often like, something is so built up in their heads as a taboo that they expect that when you're going to talk about it, like all of us are going to be giggling or like, ah, sex, you know? It's just like, sex, whatever. So I think sometimes it can be like surprising to people who haven't yet overcome their own discomfort or awkwardness around something just seeing other people like talk about it normally like oh okay I can talk about sex the way I talk about a recipe or a movie or the weather or something that's like you know not a big deal to talk about and yet important that we talk about and also giving accurate information when I think when young people ask questions and young people do you know whether it's your niece or little sibling whatever it is often adults will give like complete fairy tales as answers or punish them for asking the question like how big never ask that question again you know and i think both a lie and a punishment are going to give off the message that this is this bad thing that we don't talk about like that you shouldn't ask about or that like you shouldn't know about you know what i mean and that does two things one inculcates shame two makes the kid even more curious so i mean then they're going to learn from much less reliable sources most likely because what do people young people do when they don't know something and nobody's telling them they go to the internet and what's much easier to find on the internet than like sex positive content etc yeah like mainstream porn like the most mainstream porn yeah (laughs) so i feel like and that's like learning about sex from like super mainstream free porn is like learning to drive by watching the fast and the furious or something like just not a very (laughs) realistic reference point right so I feel we, yeah, just like making it feel safe, comfortable and normal to talk about the stuff and like also trying to be as scientifically accurate and judgment free in the tone and responses that you provide. And, and things can be age appropriate as well, right? I'm not saying you have to inundate like your five-year-old relative with every single, all the information all in one go. But if they ask the question or if they happen to see your dogs, for example, doing stuff, like, you know, those are all moments in which kids have questions. Where do babies come from or how? What are they doing, you know? And I feel like you can give simple but scientific answers instead of like making some stuff up. Yeah. My mom told me when I asked her where babies come from, I still remember that Suraj Devta ne mere pet mein dal diya bachcha. Like she was like doing puja and then I was like, mom. Imagine going to dad and be like, Suraj uncle kaun hai? Batana zara. 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, Lisa, <laughs> thank you so much for your time this morning. This was such an amazing, amazing experience for us. We're so excited for everyone to listen to it. Thanks so much. It was lovely talking to you both. And I'm sorry, did you say there was rapid fire and I just gave like some one answer? I'm so sorry. You said rapid fire. No. Thank you. It was so nice meeting you guys. Have a really you good day. And you too. I hope to see you soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.